Welcome back to the Cattails Podcast with Weber State Athletic Director Jerry Bovey. I'm Paul Grua. This is part two of our conversation with legendary Weber State and NBA head coach Dick Motta. We hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation. In case you don't know, Coach Motta was the first ever head coach at Weber State in the Division I era. And he, in fact, he helped the transition from junior college to Division I. He won three Big Sky titles and led the Cats to the NCAA tournament in the early 60s. And after that, he went on to the NBA where he coached for 25 years and coached nearly 2,000 games. So in today's second part of our interview with Coach Mata, he'll talk more about his coaching time at Weber State, the early days in the Swenson Gym, how Weber State became a member of the Big Sky Conference, the days of recruiting Willie Sojourner, and then a whole lot more about his time in the NBA, including winning a title in the, in the NBA with the Washington Bullets, his experience visiting the White House, and what he thinks about teams that don't go to the White House today, and also the story about the saying of the opera ain't over until the fat lady sings. We hope you enjoy it, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast, and we have more podcasts coming up soon. Also a reminder to download the new Weber State Wildcats app, mobile app, where you can stay up to date on the latest news, results, and more on Weber State. So now here's part two of our interview with legendary coach Dick Mata on the Weber State Cattails podcast. We are with uh, Weber State and NBA legendary coach Dick Mata. Dick, thanks so much for joining us again. This has been great. I want to go back to some of your Weber State days. You coached some great, great Wildcats, and there's just to name a few, Jerry Trice and uh, Gus Chapman. There was Justice Thigpen, Nolan Archibald, Roger Reed, Gene Vischer. There are so many that we could go through. Um, so let's take you back to some of those days. You mentioned earlier about the importance of, of something that happened how Weber State got into the big sky in 1963, a huge event for us. Well, uh, we happened to be in a, a, a position. We'd been a, a junior college, of course. Then we went to the three-year school in the progression, and we were an NAIA affiliate. And we couldn't, well, we couldn't get people to come and play us. You know, they, they weren't interested in... Uh, uh, an NAIA school. They didn't know Weber from Weber, and they didn't know Ogden from. Yeah. Uh, it was just. It was just. Uh, the The future looked pretty bleak, to tell you the truth, as far as uh, growth and wh- who we were going to play. I I would, would make every phone call to every every college in the country, and we we. You know, they hadn't heard of us, and we had a good reputation in the junior colleges because we'd been junior college for so long, and Reed Swenson was the president of the NJCA for years, and uh, we just happened to be there uh, when the Pac-12, I guess they just booted Idaho. Idaho wasn't a big enough draw in Moscow to, to warrant playing USC and UCLA and California, all those schools, so they were out in the wilderness. Uh, Gonzaga didn't have football, but they were independent in basketball. And then there were the Montanas that were, I think they call it the Frontier League or something Mm -hmm. at that time. And Idaho was sitting here floundering, probably in the same category as the Montanas. And we happened to be a sixth member. And they just accepted us. And without a pedigree check or anything. You know, we'd had good records in uh, junior college basketball, but uh, the thing that really, really helped us and made us blossom was that all of the, the the six teams we played each other three times. Like, if we were 
we traveled with Idaho State, Montana's traveled, and Idaho and Gonzaga traveled. If we went up to play Gonzaga uh, on the first night, we would play them on Friday and Saturday. Then we would use Sunday to travel and play the University of Idaho. So three games, we had 15 games on the schedule before we had to pick up the phone. And that was the, that was the big part. And we were playing good schools. We were playing schools that, that had a pedigree to, dem, to some degree, and it was a, a grade up from junior college in Ogden here than, uh, uh, than if we'd had to stay with uh, uh, in, in a, in NCAA or NAIA schools. Pretty remarkable, really. That, and you think back, if that hadn't have happened for Weber State, who knows what would have happened. Well, I think the know? same thing that, that happened to uh, uh, Dixie and called the... Desert yeah, it could college. have been a Division we'd, two we'd type probably, school or we'd, we'd something probably like stay that. In, you know, we'd have been... Uh, I don't think we'd ever made Division one. Yeah, pretty now, remarkable. I see now, after all these years, Dixie's just yep. just barely yeah. making it. You know, you coached... Uh, you were you won three Big Sky titles in those in those years as a Division one coach, and you know, I mentioned some of them, but there's others. There's Dan Sparks, there's Eddie Tillman, and there's so many players that you had. Uh, uh, and the Swenson Gym, you guys were so good at home. You had an unbelievable home atmosphere and won a lot of games at home. I think we won 48 in a row. Yeah, 40, 46, I think. We lost an overtime game once. To, it was like two and a half years in a row without yeah, losing. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty comfortable. What, yeah. was the, what was the atmosphere like in those, in those games? Last night, after I left our, the game here, I went down and uh, caught the very end of Gonzaga at St. Mary's. And that gym was a box, like old sweaty yeah, gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone that came in to play our, at our place. And our fans, we had them. You know, they would pound those those wooden bleachers. And, oh, I, I wouldn't want to bring a team in here there and play. And we, we, we won most of the almost every game yeah, we played there. And your last year uh, with Nolan Archibald and Monty, you mentioned, and Ted Bryant and Roger Reed, those were the seniors, and, and Sparks and Larry Berg and, and uh, Justice Thickman. You went to the NCAA tournament. First Weber State team to go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, first uh, uh, we had... We knew that we were pretty good. We 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 played a lot of good teams, and uh, uh, some of the Gonzaga in our league was good, and we just campaigned all six of us for an NCA bid. You know, we just wanted the the chance to to play in the NCA, and uh, so finally, uh, the big boys upstairs said uh, the winner of the Big Sky will, will qualify. In those days, it was a Sweet Sixteen. You know, people don't realize it, but we were, we played New yeah, Mexico went, State. Right to six, it was a sixteen-team tournament. Yep, yeah. we were the, we were in the Sweet Sixteen, and uh, if we'd have, if we'd have won against uh, uh, New Mexico, and we we were right there with one or two points, you'd have had to play UCLA with Jabbar <laughs> in the Elite Eight. Yeah, and uh, we sat down with Phil, and we and we got about two minutes to go, and it's about tied, and I said. We're not ready for this crap. <laughs> We're not ready to play UCLA next. We don't want to want to be embarrassed like that. But it was a it was a good team. Yeah, they yeah, it really was played. But it brings up a good point. So, you know, you talked about the turning point in life, and sometimes we get up against those. There's times where we're into big situations where the realization of it is is it's a little bit smoke and mirrors and but we're, we just power through that and you got to believe in yourselves and you, and you just keep building you just keep looking to, to grow it well I, I sometimes when you sit down it's a little different now when, when I have tried 
to really be organized. My center sat in the middle on the chairs after timeouts, and the two guards were here, the point guard and the off guard, center and the two forwards. And they came, and the people behind with the towels and the water did their, did their stuff. And then when I sat down, kneeled down, I always liked to kneel in front of the biggest, heaviest center, then, then no one in the stands could see what I was saying. Or you, you, don't, uh, you, you don't have to say much in a timeout. What are you going to say, hustle? Come on, we got to hustle more. That's a, that's a good line. You know, we, hey, come on, guys, we got to rebound. What the hell are you doing? How come we're not rebounding? Or, you know, it, it's all, like you say, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But you sit there, and sometimes the, the magnitude of the situation, a lot of people can't handle it. It's, you know, and I, I tell people, it's not like landing on Iwo Jima. It's not like going to D-Day. You're going to come out alive tomorrow, but damn, it's it's close. I mean, when I I talk about that time in the dressing room when uh, you know it's our seventh game, we're on the road, and that atmosphere is it's almost inhumane, and uh, you have to like joke a little bit about it. I got a bottle; it's about that big, still at home. And I took the lid off, put the cork back on, and I said, this is playoff atmosphere. And I should have had a, th a million of those little bottles in there and sold them for five bucks each. <laughs> but we're, your, your life isn't passing through you, but here, here we are. And the, and the, this is the epitome of your profession. Uh, and you, as we walked down that long line, it was a hallway about 100 yards, and we had this Catholic priest that had hooked on to us. He was Hank Stram's man, and I got to know him on a flight. He, was, he would uh, go to uh, uh, Mass for Father Mackey when uh, Kansas City was playing in Boston. And he was on a plane coming back from Kansas City. He got to be a, a, a good luck charm for him, and the players would always kick in and put, pay his way to the uh, Kansas City games. So he came and sat by me in the first class, and that's all I wanted was a priest talking to me. So we, we talked everything. I said, the next time you're in, uh, that we come to Dallas, I mean to Boston, come on in. So the next time we did, he came in, hung his coat up there, and got to be one of us. And our owner thought he was a good luck piece. So he flew him out to Seattle. So here we are. We're, it's time to go. The two policemen out front, the priest playing with his beads. I got the doctor on one side of me with his bag, the trainer on the other side with his medical bag, three policemen behind us. And I said, hold it. Let's <laughs> I said, let's get a picture of this. It's because I have it. I said, I feel like James Cagney. Remember that old movie, the James Cagney movie, when he's going to the gallows? That's exactly how I felt. And we walked down and turned around, and I saw Earl Strom, and I turned to Bernie, and I said, we got a shot. There's a shot at this damn thing. We get going along, we got up 10, and uh, Jack Mad is trying to take the game. And uh, I get Earl off the side, and I say, Earl, work too hard. Don't let him steal it. Relax, coach. Just relax. <laughs> so... 
we get the ball, we're up four. We get the ball, and the clock's running out, and Wes throws it to Dandridge, and he's all alone in the court. He's running like this slow and looking up at the clock, and I'm running alongside him as hard as I can. He watches the clock and lays it up at the buzzer. I turn, I turn around and Bernie's crotch, I can see it right here, and I'm, I'm down, we're down on the ground. And here comes Earl Strom, and he comes and picks me up, helps me up, and he said, I wear size 10. <laughs> <laughs> I've never told anyone that. I wore size 10. I don't think he threw the game for us or anything, but he, he said, relax, you're okay. And, we, you know, we won the game. But uh, Wow. And that, and that ring on your finger. So, yeah. yeah, you're wearing a Washington Bullets 1978 championship ring. I wear it once in a while. Uh, when I get down a little bit and no one, no one will talk to me, <laughs> and I'm kicking a, a can down the side of the road, you know, my wife said, what? Boy, you're you're a needy person. I said, yeah, I am, uh, but uh, oh, I don't wear it very often. But uh, it's a trinket. It's a reminder. One of the neat things I did a lot of prison work in Washington D.C. Lorton Prison was is one of the worst. It's all barracks, ninety nine percent black. They built a brand new gym out there, and they wanted a a basketball league, and they asked me if I would come and do and organize the league, use uh, NBA teams. They had uh, quite a bit of money to buy uniforms and everything, and so they wanted me to, to come and present my plan to the, all the prisoners. And uh, the gym was full, and they were about as interested in me as, as if I was a mushroom. And I, I, most of the time you go and you talk a little bit and people listen and they, but there was a little bit not not out not right, but you know they weren't there to listen to some old guy talk about basketball, and so I I was I knew I didn't quite have him, and some kid yelled out, "Hey man, is that the ring?" I had it on, and I don't know what possessed me, but I took it off, had it in my hand, and he was about. 15 rows back, and I threw it to him. And it went way up in the air. And I'm telling you, it was stone silence in that whole place. There must be 4,000 inmates in there. And they followed it. And one of the guys, the guy said, hey man, you may not get that back. And I said, I'll get it back. I'm going home tonight. You guys aren't. From then on, that one little thing, throwing that up there, I guess they figured it was, was one of my best possessions, but I, I trusted them with it. And they passed, every one of them passed it around and came back to me, and from then on, that league was a success. You had them. Yep. You had them. Had That's em. neat. Off of that stupid thing. And you know, that happens, stuff like yeah. that. And yeah, it, it's the you small don't know and simple why. things you don't make know big differences. Yeah. So I've got to ask you about uh, the. The, the fat lady sings, and you've got that inscription on that ring there. Yeah. So tell us about that quote. Well, you know, I, I didn't originate it. Right. I read it. Uh, I read something about the uh, rodeo ain't over till they ride the Brahma, and uh, and then something. We had just won at San Antonio, and we're going to go play the 
Philadelphia to go into the championship. And the guy said, well, you just, there must have been 10 cameras in front of me. And he said, what does it feel like to go this far into the championship? And this, how far? And I kept saying, it's not over. We're not there yet. And, and I said, it's like the guy said, the opera ain't over till the fat lady sings. And uh, I got home that night. I mean, there must have been 50 cameras. She said, well, you all the stupid things you've ever said. That's the dumbest. She said, you're going to have every fat lady, every opera. Hell, we got, I got invited to the Metropolitan Opera. We got the Grand Old Opera. That thing, they, they put the, uh, they made the T-shirts. The, uh, the art work on that is fantastic. I have it at home. They did 250,000 of them. Sold them all. And we had ladies, men, dressed as Viking to with their toga on. They had their, their horns in the air and they had a great big uh, uh, shield on their arm and a basketball. They had her, she was uh, like that and she was in, on a stage and the curtains on the stage and the curtains were up about that far from the floor and you could see all these little basketball shoes, little ankles. And uh, then when we won, uh, or on the way up to play Seattle, they printed some up that said, uh, the opera's over, she has laryngitis. And then when we won, the next day we, I signed one, the opera's over, the fat lady sang. And then the next year, to start the year, the, the, lady will, the fat lady will sing again. And I had a chance to do a commercial with Beverly Sills, where they, you know, light beer, for the taste, for the calories, you know, yeah. to pull it back and forth. Those, but I wouldn't do a beer. I wouldn't do a beer commercial. But I got invited to the to Grand Ole Opry and to the Metropolitan. That Opry. followed you around for a while, didn't it? Still there. Yeah. I should have copyrighted it. You should have. Yeah. All because those T-shirts you got to cut. Oh yeah. yeah we're, I'm looking at a few pictures. Of There's, that's, there she is right <laughs> there. Some T-shirts. See, she's got the ball up in front of. See the little shoes down here. So, yeah. There she is. They <laughs> must have had 50 guys. When we went to visit, this is why I would, I would like to have Steve Kerr right here. Tell that little son of a bitch. We went, they had a parade. <laughs> I love it, Coach. This is going viral. Keep going. Had a parade, and there must have been, they said, it's the first major championship Washington, D.C. had had in 41 years or more. And they just, that parade was unbelievable. But it was, they didn't burn couches and do a lot of that thing. We went to the Senate, we went to the uh, Congress, we went to the White House. <coughs> and we were in the West Wing. That's the first one, and this I signed it. This is signed it. by you here, yeah. I'd like to get a couple of these. So I, I just found these online, so look, you should buy some of these shirts. Look at the uh, uh, their their feet underneath. Feet behind the curtain. Yeah. And look, she's got basketball shoes, and she's spinning a ball, and she's got those. Now, there would be a hundred men, or mostly men, every one of our games. Wearing these shirts. Dressed just like that. Dressed like an yeah. opera singer. And... Uh, so we're in the White House, and the Marine Band is right over here, and we're on that diocese. And uh, they start playing Hail to the Chief, and here come the President. 
This is Jimmy Carter at the Jimmy time, Carter. right? Yeah. Jimmy Carter coming across, and Rosalind was uh, uh, right beside him there, and he's walking up there, and they're playing Hail to the Chief. I have no political aspirations or interest, but there comes the President of the United States. In the White House. And the hair, every one of us, he steps up to the microphone and he says, where is the fat lady? <laughs> I've got it. I, give, I present him a ball. And I said, on behalf of the Washington Bullets, I present the president, I said, I present the basketball to the president. Oh, I can't believe this. I said it like that. I said, I, I can't believe. The president of the United States. And I don't care what you're, if, if, if you could hate Trump or whatever, but... That's an experience. Well, he, they're, they're, t they're t telling the young kids don't go. Yeah, they're missing out. They don't know how much. Yeah. They just don't know how much. And uh, it is sad that, uh, that it's like that. And, uh, well, one time, I go down to the, we're playing on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, I open my office door, and, and it's, they got, there's about four guys in suits there and all kinds of machines on my desk. I said, what are you guys doing in here in my office? They said, it's not your office, coach. I said, the president's upstairs with Amy. Said for now, uh, you know he used to come to a lot of the okay. Atlanta games because he was you know the peanut raiser there, and uh, I s said, well you okay you can use the office if if you'll do me a favor if you'll take my son he's the same age as Amy if you'll take Amy up or take uh, up to meet the president and Amy, now I'm really excited. Kurt leaves and. About a half hour later he comes back down and I say how is it how is it I'm really excited. And he says, Dad, don't do me any more favors. He said, that Amy is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And the, I thought the Secret Service guy was going to fall right on his face. And I said, yeah, but how did the president go? Oh, I don't know. I didn't talk to him. I just had to talk to Amy. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at Amy. The moment for the kids is a little different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> so do a uh, internet search of the opera isn't over until the fat lady sings Washington Bullets. And you'll find these... T-shirts, so our fans can look at them. Pretty classic. Oh boy, that's for sure. You know, and the team that year was forty-four and thirty-eight in the regular yeah, season. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we were the lowest record that had won. It's pretty amazy. Uh, maybe, maybe since and that's and not, might, might yeah, not much of a record. Not well, much one of the things play. that uh, we had uh, five injuries. We went to play Phoenix, and I could only dress six, and the rule is you have to have seven. So I wanted to put Bernie. My assistant on put him in a suit, and their, their league wouldn't let me. <laughs> and so they, we had to get another player. So uh, Bob hustled all over the, the league and found Charlie Johnson. And then when Charlie, they used a helicopter. We came home and played that night, and Charlie, they brought him in on a helicopter. And I'll never forget, I got a picture of it. Uh, I'm, I've got the book out, and I'm showing him the get, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Get the ball back. The doctor is giving him a physical, and the trainer is taping his ankle. And here he goes. And he played. He played that night, and he w he was instrumental in us winning. Wow. Yeah. So big, you, big you, time. You're, over the over the course of your career in the NBA, you saw the game change dramatically.
from the time you came into the league to when, from the '60s till the late '90s. I mean, yeah, almost when you left, almost what, a thirty years. What did you see? I mean, the magnitude of the, the NBA, the salaries as they grew. Um, you worked with a lot of different owners and general managers. You mentioned Jerry Colangelo at the Bulls, but he ended up becoming the owners of the yeah with the uh, Phoenix, Phoenix. Yeah, uh, and still a he tampered part of with basketball. he tampered with me in the middle of a. Uh, we're playing the Lakers in the sixth game. We're at the sixth game, and he wanted me to. He, they claim that he's the one that saw me at Weber, and he wanted, he tampered with me and for about five meals, different places, and he offered me the job, uh, and I said I can't, Jerry, you can't talk to me until the playoffs are over, and that day we walked in and Jerry West was there standing. I always passed by to say hello to him. He said, they, I see where you didn't get the Phoenix job. They hired uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons. But Jerry was going to get a college coach. We were, college coaches were pretty hot then. Uh, uh, Chuck Daly was coming yeah. in, and, uh, and then he hired Cotton Fitzsimmons and uh, Bill Fitch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we had a pretty good little thing going with, with ex college coaches. And uh, now, where were we? On how, well, how did, how did the, how game, the game how, change? How did you watch the game change over the course of your time in the NBA? Well, uh, when I went to the NBA, my salary was twenty-two thousand. Uh, what did you make at Weaver State at the time? Fourteen. Fourteen, right? Yeah, okay, I yeah. had a big salary, big change. Yeah. <laughs> big I sold time. my whole house here for forty, and had to buy one over there for fifty-nine, and didn't know how we were going to pay for it. Uh, so you made twenty. The athletes in those days, up until we almost finished. Training camp was a training camp because the players had off-season jobs. Bob Boozer, who played for me the first year, uh, worked for uh, uh, Omaha Telegraph, uh, TNT, AT&T. He retired there. Uh, uh, guys like uh, uh, Bob Cousy had insurance companies. Uh, Heinsohn had an insurance company. Uh, they they went home in the summer to make a living. Bob, when I went there, Bob Boozer was my highest paid player. He was a player captain and played on the, uh, on the Olympic team and won it, won the NCAA. Uh, and he was a 12-year veteran making 29000 Wow. And, and they played. You know, they played. To, in those days, I can really think for the first 10 or 15 years, they played as a creative outlet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. They played because they love it. The players still love it, but there's a difference. It's a business. They're, 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 uh, now, you know, they're, most of the time we used to warn the players of agents, you know, you're going you're gonna to get a little bit of money and you're going to have a lot of friends, you know. Uh, don't get knocked up. Don't knock up a girl. Because it gives them the uh, and don't carry a gun in your in your you know you used to talk about little things that now uh, they're talking four hundred one k's and investments and uh, but I've seen a lot of players go broke because yeah. they have too many friends too many people trying to get to them and trying to make them rich uh, you know but most of the time it's a nefarious uh, relationship. Uh, but you can't tell a you can't tell a young man who he should be friends with. You you can't do that. You can try to educate, and and uh, have we had seminars toward the end, and 
the cell phones, I only had one incident with the cell phone. Uh, a kid had a, it rang during one of my meetings. I went down and grabbed it and threw it down and stepped on it and fined him $500. In those days, that was pretty good, pretty good chunk of money. Uh, I didn't have any problem with it after that. Uh, when, the, when the bus leaves at 10 o'clock, the bus leaves. Now, Jerry and I have a, had a difference on that. He, he, he always made sure that he sent a player down to check on it in their room. And uh, I always said they're adult enough to they, they know how to tell time. And if you love your job enough, you can tell time enough to make it, make it to the gate yeah. on time. And uh, now... Uh, Did you see that as a distraction as you moved on through the league with endorsements and the, and the rise the and all money. that, the popularity? And the well, the only thing you saw is that uh, the smaller markets like Salt Lake, uh, I don't know what, this, what the structure is now, but at that, that time, when we, uh, the, it got to the point where the league started uh, organizing agents. And they had it to the point where the agent could only take four percent of the original contract, but they could get as they could take as much as negotiable on the endorsements. So, the big, the big markets got the, the better players. Yeah, I think that part of it of the game, the markets become so competitive that it's regulated itself because of competition. Yeah. Where it's a low, it's a low yeah, market. Yeah, a lot of time uh, Utah went through a lot of that. Being the, one of the smaller markets in the league, uh, there there weren't very many of sort of the Boston or the New York money. How did you learn in your own life to adapt to the balance to life on the road? It's a long grind season, and you were in a long time, and you had you know you had a family and Kurt and Kip and and everyone else. How did you how did you keep your balance? And, and well, I didn't I didn't I didn't consider it a balance. After I I started thinking about it, you play eighty one games on the road. Say that it takes a game and a half to play each one with your travel, and so so say that it takes uh, two days. You have 160 days. Now some of those are at home. You're not away from home. But say that you're away 160 days. You're only home 300. <laughs> they get the wife gets so damn tired of you. She wants you on the road. You know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I never I never looked at it. It the was only, the lifestyle. It was just your lifestyle, and that's what we did. I'm doing them did last night. Doing what you love, yeah. Yeah. Well, you go. To, I'm down at the hotel now, and it's a big double bed, and uh, we went to lunch, and and ninety percent of the time, it's uh, the every town we went to, there was there's usually someone that you knew. There's a Weber kid or uh, someone that we knew that uh, would come want to come to a game or uh, want to take you out after. Uh, there, no, the road was. I didn't look at the road as a, as an enemy. Only only thing that I worried about on the road was the opponent. Right. Because you know they were they were usually you're better, better at home. They're better at home than they are were on the road. They were better than us a lot of times. You coached some great teams. I mean, after the Bullets, you coached the Mavericks for a long, long time with Rolando Blackman and Mark Aguirre and some of those great guys in the. Now, 80s. why did you mention him? Well, just some oh, of the no, good players. No, no, no. I'm looking yeah, at the just, stats here. You're looking in the wrong place. Okay. Sorry. You, you tell me. Bashburn? That's why I brought it up. I wish you hadn't. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll move it on. No, who, was owner, who was the owner that hired you with the Dallas Mavericks? Uh, Don Carter. Okay. Yeah. He, his mom uh, started uh, 
home interiors. They were, she had a, uh, not a partner, but a, they both worked for, uh, her and her uh, friend worked for Watkins products, selling door to door. And one of them was Mary Crowley. And as she went to the home, she would tell her friend that the, the, the homes weren't like they should be. And so she started home interiors, nothing more than $35. And the other one said the woman didn't, could use some sprucing and she started Mary Kay Cosmetics. Oh, yeah, they did all right. Now, uh, Mary Crowley never uh, advertised, but she talked about the time that they, she borrowed 3000 had to borrow $3,000 to start her business in the garage, and she couldn't find a bank. And she finally found a guy that lent her $3,000. And at the time I was talking to her, she owned that bank, and that guy was the president. She wow. talked about the day the year that they celebrated their first million dollar year, and then their first million dollar month, their first million dollar week, their first million dollar day, their first million dollar hour, and it came in, had 41,000 people working for them. Had more money, a lot of money. I'm sorry for bringing up Mark Aguirre. Yeah, I'm We're we're off that topic, you brought (laughs) it up again. I brought it up again, but. Uh, No, (laughs) when I went back, Last, I think it was in November, uh, uh, Harper, they re- retired his number. Derek Harper, yeah. And he wanted me to, to make the presentation. So when I went back, <clears throat> Harper and Blackman and Davis were there. And the, the three of us sat together and, and they, we all ta- they, they talked at the presentation. And, and I made the statement that that three-guard rotation was as good a rotation there was in the league. And I said, and today they would probably still rank up there in the league. Yeah, and yeah, I, good, I believe they teams. would. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, uh, great relationship with those three kids. I loved Sam Perkins. James Donaldson, we got kind of off the uh, heap, you know, he played at Washington State. And, he was very bashful. He didn't want to play basketball, and uh, but he turned out really intelligent and a good player for us. And we had uh, uh, then we we got into we won 57 games, and we had traded in the in the before the season was over. We traded Mark Aguirre for James Worthy. And <clears throat> the last second, it was a trade done between owners. But at the last second, Jerry West didn't think it was a good trade, but he said, we're still going to go through with it. Uh, so one of the things that we had to do is to, uh, we traded first round draft choices and they wanted us to pick up uh, 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 Tarpley with that with that pick, and we didn't want Tarpley because he's a drugger. And he'd come out of the f- Fabulous Five and yeah. knew he was uh, right, a, a drugger. And uh, so we go along, and I go back down to Dallas, and I'm sitting in the in the uh, office with Don, his big conference room here, and his office was over here, and his mother's office was here. And she had just passed away. She had liver cancer. Mark Aguirre's mother, uh, uh, six months before that, had passed away with liver cancer. Uh, 
he sat across from me and he said, uh, I've pulled that trade. Now it's August. And I said, What'd you do that for, Don? Because one of the things that he said when we when I hired when he hired me was, "What is an owner?" And I said, "Take the, you're not going to sell any tickets now, but take the best 100 seats out of the stadium, put them in your back pocket, because you'll be able to use them in your business with friends." And uh, there's a, a couple of things. Uh, a little bit of knowledge is really dangerous. You come and watch, and he did. He watched almost every practice, he, and he, he could. He could have called a play now and then, uh, but I said, you, you know, you, you will never catch up with me, because I don't do anything else, and you have other, other jobs. And the third thing is, don't fall in love with the animals. And those three things are still pertinent today. Don't know too much. Don't fall in love with the animals and enjoy your team. And he said, I, I pulled it off because it was a, it's an omen. He went over to his mother's door and talked to her. And he came back and he had tears in his eyes. He said, Coach, you can handle this. I said, John, you're, you're, you're putting me in a bind. He said, you can handle it. We'd, we went on to win, I think, 57 that year, and I quit. I said, if he's gonna, if he's gonna pull a trade off them, I don't need this job. Yeah. So I quit. I walked away, and then the team went to hell. And then he called me back, and we were we were starting to. We had the three J's, uh, Jackson, Jamal, and uh, uh, Jason. We drafted Jason. Jason Kidd. Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, starting to uh, be respectable, and he he bought it for 1.6 million, and he sold it to Perot for. Uh, 200, I think 290 million. And Pro held, Pro came in, didn't want any basketball, and he fired everybody, he fired all of us. The secretaries, the trainers, the assistant coaches, everyone got fired. Wow. So. And then he ended up selling that team to Mark to, Cuban. To Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, about two yeah. years later. Yeah. Uh, Pro didn't want it. He wanted the land around it so he could build his hotels. Down, down in the, uh, down yeah. by the train track. We, yeah. we drove by there. We yeah. drove a month ago. Yeah. There a month ago. I just have one question, and we'll wrap it up here soon because uh, we know your time is valuable. But I wanted to go back to Willie Sojourner, who you recruited, and you said he couldn't play as a freshman. But tell us about how you recruited him and how you got him here. Well, uh, you know that Dave, Dave Owens, or whatever, is, used to be a. A program that they send around and list all the high school prospects in the nation. Dave Bones, okay. I think it was Dave Bones. And this kid was really rated high, and we made it a contact, and his uh, his uh, scores weren't uh, weren't that good. And my manager <clears throat> here at Weber, Hugh Sloan, and I don't know if you, uh, he's still around. Yeah. Uh, I think he still lives in Denver, but he. He joined the Coast Guard, he was a very bright kid. He was my, my manager and he was on the track, he ran the two mile, uh, he was, he, he ran us. You know, he was like the secretary, make the hotel arrangements. And uh, he got to be a uh, two-star general, an um, admiral, two-star two admiral in the Coast Guard. And uh, he was back in Philadelphia and, <clears throat> 
and I had mentioned this kid to him, and he and uh, uh, his wife went out and talked to Willie. And uh, lo and behold, uh, he took the scores, and I didn't have anything to do with this, but he took the tests again and had a high enough grade point average to get in. So now everyone, everyone wanted him then. And, uh, you and his wife absolutely packed him. And he came here, uh, 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 he had a suitcase as big as his table and uh, met him at the airport. And <clears throat> we had about two weeks till, till school started. Couldn't, uh, couldn't work him out or anything like that, but uh, uh, he got off the plane and he thought those mountains might be falling on him. He did. He thought that we're going to cave right in on him. And uh, we'd already had the W up there, I told you. We had the W, and I knew we were going to Weber State. We were going to put the S up there. And I said, Willie, I knew you were coming to visit. And I, we had the crew go up on the hill last week and put that W there. That, that W is for Willie. And uh, if you come and stay and play with us, we'll have him put the S up there next month. So that'll be Willie Sojourner's Hill. And he came, <laughs> but I hid him out. Uh, uh, he stayed in our he stayed in our basement because uh, uh, he stayed in our basement and cooked uh, a turkey dinner for us and t would tend my kids. And uh, it's just like a it's the only black guy go to that swim pool and dive off the high high dive and make a swan dive and swim. He was a pretty he was a really good kid. He. He got killed in an accident, I, I think. A car accident, yeah, in Italy, yeah. Oh, yeah but that, that's old Willie right there. And there's the WS on the mountain. It, it is. See? Yeah. That's his hill. <laughs> well, Coach, we, we love when you're here. Uh, I've cherished the few moments that I've had to visit with you, and I've learned a lot. And, you know, this this program has has changed and grown over time. But for those of us that are here now, we... we you know, it, there's a piece of this program in all of us, and we're caretakers of it. And somebody will come later, and continue on the legacy. We hope, but but your legacy here and and your influence has helped to shape what Weber State basketball is today. And so we consider it an honor to be associated with you and to have you part of our program. Well, that's your nice. Program. That's nice to say, but this this stuff's clear up to my ankles. Well, step over it. Can't wade through it. I can't. I can't breathe in that much crap. You know. <laughs> well, it's true. The the thing that uh, I met the president. Uh, yep, last night, Brad Mortensen. Brad, met you. I didn't meet you. I captured you. And uh, Derek. Uh, Derek, uh, I'm really impressed. And I'm not, I don't want to blow smoke or anything, but there's a fire under your tails. And uh, with uh, this setting and that gym, and if there's 20,000 students here, and I told Dan Sparks last night that a degree from Weber State is as valuable as any degree Harvard or it's just as valuable as Archibald's uh, degree is what you put into it and uh, there's no reason that 
this school can't get to the higher level. Well, that's our goal. Well, it, you, guys, you, guys got that, you guys have got that fire in your belly, and, it, and it's really good to see. You know, we struggled sometimes. We, 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 the battle we had to go through to get uh, Utah to play us, yeah. BYU to play Utah State, uh, it finally came to uh, the governor when we, we got to play Utah State the first time, and I was coaching in Chicago, and I flew out. And Willie and Phil, that I went up, uh, I called ahead and got a ticket, and uh, and watched that game, and watched it with uh, almost I wasn't melancholy, I was jealous. That here was my team down here kicking Utah State's ass on their court, and I was up in this, I was up in the stand, up in the, the press book box, begged for a ticket to get in to watch my own team play. <laughs> yeah, those, the, but the work that was done there continues on today, and we still have our challenges. We still have a hard time getting games, and and so the challenges still exist. We haven't played Utah in six years. Damian Lillard, last year here, we beat them by thirty, and we haven't played them since. So those challenges still Well, sometimes continue. what we tried to do then, and that's, I'm sure as we, were, we weren't breaking any ground, but we went through the legislature. We, we went to every official we could find. There's no reason you put your team on a, a plane and fly to L.A. and play or go back to Wisconsin and play. You can get on a bus and drive 40 miles and you'll have a hell of a crowd. You know, duh, what's wrong with that program? Well, so t next year we get to play them. Uh, the Jazz have come together and created this Beehive Classic, and the four teams play in a round robin each year. Um, so we'll have an opportunity to play them. And you're right, that we should be playing, and, and we will. Um, but, but the point was that, that the challenges continue. They're in a different format and a different setting, but, uh, you know, we're striving for the same things that you were when you yeah, were here. Yeah. And well, we were we, we were the underdog. There was just, and that's what puts that's what where you fight. Yep. You fight a little bit harder. You, you cry a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shit. The, to see you, when you're sitting there and you know you have a team better than Utah State and Utah and BYU. When you know you're better. And you can't get a game. Won't even talk to you. Stan Watts coached me, me in junior high. I mean, as a junior in high school, and I played. Uh, he would. He was the uh, uh, little league coach, and I'd call him and talk to him. And he said, "Oh, we can't play you. Uh, if you beat us, it makes us look like fools." Well, and I find it interesting as we close this up. This is the longest we've ever done, and it's great. We're going to cut this up into a few different sections, but. As, as I had the opportunity to meet with you years ago, I find it interesting that when I asked you what's your greatest accomplishment in the sport of basketball, you went right back to the state championship at Grace High School where it all began. And I just think that says a lot about you and a lot about uh, the love for the game. It doesn't matter if you're coaching in the seventh game of the NBA championships or for a state championship at Grace, Idaho. Um, it, the game is the game. We had last year, not bragging, but the truth, uh, we had the, the uh, group up at the, our place for the semi-annual uh, reunion. <clears throat> One of the kids, uh, he was a, he's a hero. He uh, flew a 
uh, probably 60 missions over Vietnam and uh, he ended up uh, being the adjutant uh, commander of uh, uh, the Air Force Academy. He's retired as a full full colonel. And uh, he lives in St. George now. They've moved all over the world. And he, he uh, got me in the uh, uh, driveway after we'd all met, you know, and we, we shoot the bull for two or three hours like this and we are so much better. You know, we can all jump better and run faster. And he got me off said, you know, I didn't have uh, my dad wasn't very good. Uh, said you, uh, you were my dad. Hell, you want to, you want to weep in it. That's what it's all. That's what it's for. <clears throat> you know, on that, on that bus, we'd get the best bus. And and why wouldn't, why couldn't you go back to that as your highlight? The the coach, mom, mom and I sat in one chair the assistant coach and his wife, the next three rows were the varsity. Two to a bench. The next three rows on the, uh, were the junior varsity. The next five rows were parents. Parents could come. My practices were always open to the parents. Uh, the uh, games, they could come to the games. And then the, I had the cheerleaders in the back. The cheerleaders, I'd had a little money once in a while. They would give, uh, they would make sandwiches for us. On the way to the game, no talking, absolute quiet. And uh, on the way back when we won, uh, the boys couldn't go back with the girls, but there would be, they, you know, there would be all kinds of uh, joking and messing around that way. Uh, we had, uh, uh, after every game, at home game, we had a, a party down at the uh, uh, power plant, and they had a great big recreation room, and they built a fire for us, and after we got going, they wanted me to clean up the drinking, so I started these parties after. And after a while, the parents started bringing food, and it got to be, it got to be an event. There's only one time, I, he said, if you buggers don't win this game, we're not having the party tonight. But then it got to be also be some jealousy. Uh, but I would never change that. I had the parents right here. And I tell them the same thing. You can do more, more crap around that dinner table telling your son that, that he's not playing enough. You, you, can, you, can, you can ruin, and I, I, I won't tell you how to bring your wheat in, just I'm not going to let you tell me how to run my team because you're not, you're not qualified enough. And uh, when one night, it, the fellow worked at, he's a, a teacher at the school, and, he was, and Bart was my best player. And at 10 minutes after 10, I get a call from the dad, said, Bart's not home yet. What are we going to do? And uh, I said, well, I don't know, let's let, let's let it cool off and see and about two minutes later that the phone rang and it was Bart and he said I'm, I was down seeing Joan and I said don't tell me you had a flat tire he said no I got stuck in the mud but I'm home I'm home I'll be home in five minutes uh, and I said well I'll talk to you tomorrow the, uh, CD met me said are we gonna cut him 
I said, well, let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> so I, I benched him for two games and made him write this 500-word theme. And, uh, but the, the parents, they would have, they, they almost demanded that, that these kids be good kids. And all five, all, every one of them graduated from college except one. And that was better than winning a world championship. Yeah. Still is. You know, Jerry mentioned it, and we agree. Uh, we have such a basketball history at Weber State, and we're known for that, for our basketball tradition. And I think a lot of it, if not most of it, starts with you. It really does. And the D Event Center and all those things that I know you didn't coach in, but they may not be here if it wasn't for you and the success that you had and, and Phil and Gene and everybody else that followed too. But we sure appreciate it. It's been an honor to talk to you, and you really are a legend here at Weber State, and we appreciate your time. And you can come back anytime. I don't want to coach. No, okay. just, just come back <laughs> and do this. <laughs> Although, you know, I have this feeling we only scratched the surface today. Oh, hell. Uh, can we come and visit at Bear Lake sometime? Yeah. Okay. If, you had to think about that. You had to think about that, huh? <laughs> no, yeah, we, it's a big lake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what time is it? We'll, 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 we'll wrap it up, but going. we sure appreciate your time. Now, what are you going to do with this? It's going to go up for people to listen are to hear your stories. Are people going to hear about Mark? I mean, are you going to... <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't it, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I wouldn't care if he heard it. I wouldn't care I wouldn't care if Jerry Colangelo heard it. Yeah, this he, well, hopefully he, everybody will. Hopefully than thou gets up there and preaches, I'm the owner of the Phoenix Suns and I'm going to protect this league, and he's tampering with me like a, a, a schoolboy. Yeah, I think you know? he might hear it. Steve Kerr, you said something about Steve Kerr. I don't yeah. even think we finished that story, but he's No, you finished it. Okay, good. <laughs> anyway. He kept those kids from going to the White House. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this is going to be, be good. open. We're going to be on Dick Mata uncensored here. That's right. So it's good. Who's going to listen? What, where, where's it going? <laughs> Well, we'll, well we hope know. fans will follow here on WeberStateSports.com. They can download our app. They can listen online and social media, and we'll try to get the word out so they can hear the stories of Coach Mata. We may just send Mata. it to the NBA and see what they think. So we'll, will uh, Phil hear it? I hope so. Uh, yeah, I hope I'll so. Tell, let's tell one it's true. Okay. Yeah. One of the uh, – we got that automatic bid to the NCAA, and we're going up to Montana. Play Montana twice and then Montana State. Or vice versa. I can't remember what. We lost the first one. And we needed to win one of the three games to cinch it. And we're playing. Uh, of course, we. I didn't have s separate rooms for Phil and I. We slept. We had stayed in the same room. And that night, you know, we lost the game. And it was a little, you know, it was thing. And he has talked in his sleep and would move up on his bed and and he'd yell, "Get back on defense or something." Hell. I hear this rattling, and he's got the uh, lamp by my bed. He's trying to get in my bed. <laughs> and I yelled at him, Phil, what the hell? Oh, oh, he said, I, 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 I said yeah, I just, I, and we didn't talk about it all day. We get down, we play, we got the ball, we're up by, we're up by two, no, one, we're up by one, and have the ball at their end of the court and have to throw it in. There's only like three seconds. And we called the timeout and said, what would, you know, get the ball in. <laughs> As we're sitting down, I grabbed Phil's leg and I said, Phil, if we win this son of a bitch, I won't wake you up tonight. 
And there you go. I love it. And ask him tonight. And about did, that. did you we win? Won. Did you, and you oh, won? Oh yeah, we won. Yes. Then we, uh, we did. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of go. the fun of coaching. Coach Mata, it's been a privilege and an honor truly to sit and hear your stories. We thank you. Well, the, their experiences are not stories. Yep, absolutely. They are bull. A lot of it's bull. Good way to put it. Jerry, it's, it's pretty pretty neat. All time. All timer. Absolutely. Coach Shigmata, legend. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we'll talk to you again soon. Go Wildcats.